Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Uh, I am Sonny Bunch, the culture editor at The Bulwark. I am pleased to be joined again by friend of the show, James Emanuel Shapiro. Uh, he is a distribution consultant, the COO of Alamo Drafthouse Films, uh, where he founded the analytics department. And previously, he worked for the studio Neon, which most people uh, will probably remember as the studio that released uh, the Oscar-winning sensation Parasite. Um, I wanted to have him on the show today to talk about the state of exhibition and distribution, because things are very much in flux right now, with Warner Brothers having announced that they are going to release their entire 2021 slate on uh, both HBO Max and in theaters simultaneously. It's a it's a big move, and one that I think is uh, causing a lot of consternation, certainly amongst theater owners. Right, James? Yeah, I mean, it's been a bad year for theater owners overall. I mean, it's in just in the last couple of months, it's been one piece of bad news after another, you know, starting with, you know, uh, Mulan moving to like a, a Disney Plus and, um, and now, you know, the Universal uh, Cinemark slash AMC shortening of the windows. And now you have... Um, you know, HBO moving their entire theatrical slate to a day and date model with HBO Max. So they're, you know, they're, they're basically theaters used to be in the first position, you know, before you started having movies go to iTunes and then DVD, you know, and then, you know, Netflix and the HBOs of the world. And now you're in a situation where, you know, theatrical is actually third, you know, behind transactional and then subscription models, you know, with the three largest studios. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the weird thing here from, you know, my perspective anyway, just looking at this as an outsider is shouldn't there's no there's no amount of money. Uh, that the studios can make on streaming that will make up for a billion dollar hit in theaters, right? Like that, that's the right. bottom line here. The, the studios are essentially willfully trading theatrical dollars for digital pennies. It seems, it seems like a big mistake. Yeah. I mean, and to be clear, you know, it's not even the billion dollar movie, you know, that becomes devalued in this model. I mean, it, it, it's most movies, you know, that would have previously gotten a theatrical release from the studios, they're all being devalued in this model. So, I mean, you know, is it a financial mistake? I mean, the studios, like the conversation Disney had internally around Milan, you know, became, you know, what is the least amount of money we can lose? You know, and then that's how they developed sort of like the, that hybrid, you know, like let's put it on Disney Plus, but let's put it on Disney Plus and make everybody pay another $30 to have access to it before you know, it, it moves into a transactional and then the subscription windows. So it's, you know, you're, how much is the least amount of money that we can lose? And, and what HBO is doing here is they're, they're trying to kill a couple birds with one stone because their launch of HBO Max was not great. You know, they, they have a significant number of people who are actually paying for the service that are not engaging with it. Uh, and, you know, the landscape in 2021, um, you know, is, is still making everybody nervous. You know, yes, there's a vaccine. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see this week people, you know, 
getting the vaccine, but it, it's very likely that there won't be widespread distribution of the vaccine until later next year. And, you know, they're, you know, the polls that they're seeing and the result, you know, from tenant coming out uh, was, you know, is that there's not a lot of interest in going back to the theaters until everybody is vaccinated, until they feel like they're safe to be in an enclosed space. Uh, so, you know, Warner was like, okay, well, if we're not going to have audiences really until the back half of 2021, you know, if that actually happens in 2021, like we don't want to release these movies theatrically. So, you know, they're trying to, you know, make as much money off of, you know, the movies as they think that they can and also try to benefit HBO Max. Now, the truth is, is like, I don't know if I agree that that's going to happen. You know, like either one of those things is going to happen with this release strategy. And it's certainly the prevailing sentiment in the exhibition community right now is one of anger, you know, towards Warner uh, about this. I mean, like Warner, you know, last week there was the big, um, you know, convention where uh, a couple times a year the exhibition community gets together with the studios and the studios basically show them you know with their upcoming slate you know in, in a way that empowers the theaters and you know that happened last week and the warner presentation you know felt like it was filmed before they made the hbo announcement because the whole presentation is literally peppered with how important the theaters are and this happened, they're showing this to the exhibitors right after they made the announcement that HBO is, is getting all the movies at the same time that the theaters are. So they, they clearly just don't care, you know, what the exhibition community feels or needs right now. And, you know, that's causing a lot of anger in that space. And on top of that, there's a lot of anger in Hollywood. Uh, and Hollywood is an extremely emotional industry, you know, that holds grudges. Um, you know, that's hyper competitive. And, uh, you know, the announcement was made without consultation of any of the Warner partners, including like companies that actually own the movies that uh, Warner is distributing. And therefore, there's nothing but anger right now towards Warner in Hollywood. So, you know, it, it's not just being upset, but there's like, real hostility right now towards Warner over this. You know, it, it, it mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear people actually come out on record or I, well, the, a bunch of people have come out on record saying this is insane. You know, you've got Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and uh, 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 Judd Apatow, you know, all basically saying like, this is where this is not how things should be done. This is not how we should be treated. And it's not frankly how, you know, people who rely on residuals for a living should be treated. It's not how, you know, the union should be treated. It's not how uh, any, any of this should be done. And then you have people kind of more on background. I, like I saw a story yesterday about how Denzel Washington is apparently furious. Like Denzel Washington, one of the most beloved people uh, in Hollywood is, is angry at your studio. Uh, what is the actual outcome that, that, that could happen from this? I mean, could you just see a situation where, people re simply refuse to work with Warner Brothers going sure. forward? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I I think Warner Brothers is going to, um, you know, come back a little bit on dumping their whole slate on HBO Max. So, I mean, I think that's the first outcome. But in, in terms of how 
they deal with talent. I mean, Warner was, you know, along with Sony, considered to be the most talent-friendly studio, you know, and, and Warner had pride in working with, you know, auteur filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, you know, and, and keeping filmmakers like that, you know, in their quote-unquote stable, you know, so that, you know, like they, they would be known as, you know, a very director-friendly studio. Uh, and, and that perception is, is has to have gone away. So, you know, I mean, like you already saw the movie uh, this week, which I can't remember the name of, but it's a movie that Jonathan Nolan is, is producing uh, for Warner Brothers. Like that movie was originally announced as going to HBO, and now it's been quietly moved to, you know, offset, you know, meaning it's, it's off the release calendar. Oh, really? So, I mean, like, there, there's probably a communication happening there where the Nolans are like, look, you know, we don't want this movie being dumped on HBO Max. You know, please don't do that. And I think, you know, Warner is looking at situations now where they can release it, you know, in another model or just sell it off. Um, you know, but long term, like over years. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think Universal, you know, with all the resources that they have you know, are, are going to make a play for, you know, the Christopher Nolans of the world, you know, and then the other filmmakers that felt like they could make the movies that they wanted to make at Warner, you know, and then there's clearly the option that, you know, you can do what David Fincher has done and like go to Netflix, you know, like, I mean, I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of this anger and, and the anger is a lot of it is just based around their refusal to communicate this, you know, and do the right thing on the front end, which is what they did with Wonder Woman 1984, where they went with the talent and they said, you know, like, we want to work with you on this move. You know, we, we cannot release, we can't wait any longer. We can't release this movie, you know, with, you know, $150 million in P&A behind it. You know, we want to try this model with HBO Max and, you know, to compensate for the fact that the movie's not going to do $400 million domestic, we will pay you your overages now on the front end. You know, so the talent got paid as if the movie was a giant hit. So the fact they did that with that movie and didn't do it with any of the other movies is what people are really bad about. Yeah. You know, so does it come down to money, you know, and will all these, the, the talent here, will they be happier if they're treated better from a financial standpoint i mean i probably but then the same thing is true with like david fincher's got all this money to do projects that he wants to do at netflix and, and knowing that netflix is you know not going to be able to give the movies the theatrical release that you know he's done in the past with movies like gone girl and, and you know zodiac but at the same time the movies that he wants to make no studio is going to make Mank. You know, but Netflix will make Mank. Uh, so they do have a, a choice, you know, and, and both the choice will still end up with them getting large amounts of money. But, you know, one will come with a theatrical release if they go to a company like Universal, which seems like a logical home because Universal has the resources and Comcast and AT&T have a, a really um, significant rivalry. You know, so Comcast is going to want to take assets away from AT&T, uh, you know, or you can go to Netflix or Amazon or another streamer that's going to give you a tons and tons of creative freedom, but then no theatrical release. 
Yeah. I mean, well, that isn't, I mean, that's the catch, right? Is that like they, these, many of these directors want to have their movies seen in theaters. I mean, Nolan in particular and um, Denny Villeneuve, same, same thing. They want to, they want to have their movies seen in theaters uh, on the biggest screen possible with the best sound systems. That's how they, that's how they mix the films. That's how they make them. That's how they shoot them. Um, You know, I, I like, I'm, if you, I, I obviously you probably don't know the actual numbers here, but if you had to spitball, if you had to guess, what sort of financial uh, package Warner's put together for Wonder Woman to make that team happy? How much do you think that costs them out of pocket? Um, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I can tell you the Netflix model when they, you know, were licensing and buying third party content, you know, in the independent world was they would basically say, you know, how much is the budget? And the producers would come back and say, okay, it was 2 million. And, Netflix would go, all right, we will give you 120% of the budget with the 20%, you know, being what you would have been paid in overages if there, you know, were overages in the movie, Uh, you know, and and by and large, they found a lot of success with that because, you know, producers were just happy that they were made whole immediately, you know, like right up front before the movie got released, you know, plus 20%. So, you know, like is is a twenty percent like an industry standard? No, but it's what you know Netflix was doing for a very very long time, and I, I don't mean to suggest that they didn't go over that because they did sometimes, a lot of times. But you know, I mean, I think you know the number that you're hearing, you know, with Patty Jenkins and, and Gal Gadot with um, uh, you know, Wonder Woman was they both were paid twenty five million dollars, you know, which mm-hmm. on a budget of like, you know. The movie costs two hundred million. Then, um, you know, if they, if they got fifty million from it, then, you know, I mean, maybe that's the, the 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 percentage coming up, you know, for them. But also keep in mind, like you know, back when I was forecasting movies for the Alamo Draft House, I had Wonder Woman as the number one movie of twenty twenty. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought twenty twenty was going to be a, a down year. You know before the pandemic hit, you know, there just was not the same level of, you know, blockbusters that we had seen in the past, especially in 2019, where you had, you know, like the final Avengers movie and you had the final star Wars movie and you had the lion King remake, you know, like 2020 was going to be a down year, but wonder woman was going to be the best box office film in a down year. Um, So, you know, like the, the overages that are being paid on that, you know, could in theory be the highest overages, you know, mm-hmm. because it was going to be the biggest film. So maybe yeah. that 28, you know, 5 million number is, you know, something that's only going to be reserved for, uh, you know, Wonder Woman. I mean, like if you're Dune, you know, and you're the license holder on Dune, you know, or you worked on Dune and, and you know, like, how do you, you know, forecast what that movie was going to be, you know, like, you know, like, you know, as somebody that was, again, forecasting movies for the Alamo, we did not have Dune as a breakout hit. You know, we were looking at Dune in a, in a very similar way that Blade Runner 2049 did. You know, same director, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, a property that had seen, you know, popularity in the 1980s. So, you know, 30 years ago, um, you know. We, we were hoping for a lot of upside with something like Dune, but at the same time, you know, Blade Runner didn't set the world on fire and we were worried that Dune wasn't going to set the world on fire. 
if you're legendary, you know, or you're the filmmaker or you're the talent in Dune, you know, like, do you accept Warner coming back to you and saying, well, you know, in, in reality, the movie was only going to do about 80 million domestic, you know, and 300 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So, and they're like, well, why the hell did we spend $200 million to make this movie then if it was only going to do that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, these are complicated conversations, you know, and I think they're going to have to be title specific. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting uh, to, to hear you forecast out what you guys were looking at for doing at the Alamo Draft House, because that's about the sense that I had too. just uh, like knowing what I know about his uh, career as a filmmaker and knowing what I know about the property. I was like, this movie is if it does one hundred fifty million domestic, I would be shocked. Um, right. And and, you know, it's it's a two hundred million dollar picture. I don't I don't see how that works. Well, I, I, I guess what I'm what I'm asking you here is like when you're when you were forecasting that out, were you kind of surprised when you saw a, you know, kind of how much that cost and b what you thought it would do uh, compared to other similar titles at the draft house? Uh, I mean, I the, the, on one level, yes, but that's not the prevailing one only because um, you know, a company like Legendary and, and the studios in general, you know, the reason why they're, you know, going back to the well with so much of this, you know, franchises and their IPs is because it's so difficult to make original movies work. You know, it, it, it's, you know, it does happen, you know, I mean, like Quiet Place is a really good example of a movie that was an original IP that, you know, blew up and became, you know, a whole franchise for Paramount, you know. But for every example of that, there's, you know, nine other ones that just don't work. You know, like this is a, you know, remake, you know, sequel, prequel business. So you have to exploit the the franchises that you own. So Legendary, you know, believes in, you know, that model. And that's why they're buying up, you know, and, and producing stuff that's, you know, IP franchise based. So I understand the, you know, belief in trying to get Dune to become, you know, a a huge, you know, success. And Legendary is also a Chinese company, right? And, you know, these movies can overperform internationally and especially in the China market. So, I mean, they're certainly focused on content that's going to play really well in China. Uh, And, you know, Dune has some you know, characteristics of what's really working in in China. So I understand the logic of spending all that money, you know, to try to get Dune to work, you know, I mean, and it's very traditional thinking, you know, but the the flip side of it is also nobody really knows anything, you know, I'm like, I'm a really big believer in that phrase. So I could forecast this and you can be in line with that forecast. And most people can kind of, you know, comp Dune to Blade Runner, but if the movie does, you know, better than we all expect, I mean, that certainly is a possibility. Like the future is not written in stone. So, you know, I mean, again, that's the the thinking that Warner and Legendary are, are doing. Uh, do you think Legendary has any any chance of a successful lawsuit here? I, I know there has been rumblings that they are they are looking to to put the kibosh on this or at least be made whole right. um, by by Warner's. Uh, you know, and and the 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 kind of flip side of this question is are are is what they fear the most losing the Chinese box office here? Because if you put it on HBO Max, doesn't that, you know, uh, radically increase the chances of, uh, piracy. of uh, piracy and all that yeah. in China? 
It, it does. So you're going to have to put it out in China before it hits HBO Max. You know, I mean, you're going to have to give China a large window, you know, before it actually, you know, gets available on BitTorrent. Um, Which is hard, too, because the Chinese government, you know, mandates when things come out. Like yep. the Chinese government is the one setting release dates. It's not like the studio can just go to the theaters and say, hey, put it out now. Right. And the Chinese government's also the, the ones that do all the promotion for the film. You know, so they can still release a movie, but then kill it by not promoting it, uh, which, I mean, they have done. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's not, there's no easy answers. You know, again, like, I get what Legendary was trying to do here, but, it, it, you know, this, this if, I mean, the original question is, does Legendary have a chance with this lawsuit? And I think they do. I think they have a really good chance because, when Legendary did the deal with Warner, you know, the uh, the underlying belief is that these movies were going to get, you know, worldwide legitimate theatrical releases. And Warner had already released some Legendary product, you know, under that underlying assumption. So, you know, courts are really big with precedent and the precedent is already there. Legendary has a ton of movies that have come out through the studio system that got a very specific release that maximized their investment. And now Warner is changing that dynamic. So a court is going to view this, you know, through that lens. And even if you try to argue that there's a pandemic, you know, and that audiences are not coming back, you also have all these precedents of all the other studios moving their product to 2021 and continuing to push it until they believe audiences are going to come back. Now there's some examples of things like Mulan, you know, and Crudes and, you know, Scoob of those movies going direct to HBO. And those had, you know, 80 to a hundred million dollar budgets, but uh, PV, PVOD, you mean, right. right or PVOD, the, yeah. like just in, not the traditional theatrical model, but you're still seeing all the big, big movies, the James Bonds, the Black Widows, the, you know, the, the 150 million plus budgets, those are still getting pushed until, you know, studios feel like audiences are ready to return to theaters. So a court is going to see, I think, very favorably in Legendary's case because Warner's doing something different here and they're distressing an asset that was done, you know, with the understanding that they were going to maximize this asset. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like if there's actually paperwork, you know, in emails that show that Warner stopped selling this movie to Netflix, you know, which is what Legendary wanted, you know, so that they could send it to HBO that clearly, you know, indirectly devalues that asset as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, different uh, factors at play here. And I I I I still I just I still am shocked that they did not talk to everybody involved with all of this before they did it. Everybody I, just, <laughs> I mean, th this is the thing I keep coming back to. I don't know how you can make a a, you know, multi-billion dollar decision involving you know, uh, the most important and powerful people in your industry and just do it. Yeah. Right? They fucked up. I mean, it, it was, you know, like there, there was that one quote I think was from Nolan um, 
you know, in the, the Kim Masters THR article that, you know, sort of detailed, uh, you know, the, the, the anger that a lot of these filmmakers in Hollywood in general was feeling, which was, um, you can tell the, dis- the, the difference between uh, disruption and dysfunction. You know, and this is clearly dysfunction, you know, like these are all new, you know, executives making these decisions at Warner, you know, and they, you know, had hubris and just thought, oh, well, you know, we can do what we want, you know, and AT&T, you know, can do what they want. And, um, you know, it was met, you know, very vocally with, you know, hostility and potential lawsuits. And I mean, I think that that's, going to continue until they make it right. Do you foresee any possibility of theater owners saying, you know what? No, we're not. We're not going to show your movies. It doesn't matter if you give us 65% of the box office take. We're just, we're, we're not, we're not opening the door to having everybody else screw us like this. I mean, this is a really interesting question uh, because you, you already have two like, you know, of the big three, you know, Cinemark and AMC agreeing with another studio, Universal, to shrink the window down to 17 days, you know, and and for bigger movies that open over 50 million, that those are going to get 30 days. So now you have Warner coming around and saying that the window is zero days. Uh, So you're going to if you play warner movies not only are you potentially hurting your you know core business long term but you're gonna piss off universal that was like why did i agree to 17 days like why didn't i just do zero days if you're gonna play warner product and also universal is paying them you know parts of the vod revenue to do this HBO is not going to pay them, you know, or Warner's not going to pay them, you know, to, to play these movies. So, like, Universal's going to be pissed off, you know, about, you know, still having a 17-day window. So, you know, th- this is a complicated conversation. You know, but what, where we were talking about at the very beginning, Warner clearly doesn't care about the theaters. You know, like, they had that presentation and it was like, yeah, I don't care if they announced it, let's not change the presentation, you know, like, can you imagine like being a, a, a theatrical exec and re and seeing that presentation in real time, you're just like fast forward, fast forward. I don't need to watch this. So, yeah. um, you know, I, they're going to play wonder woman, you know I mean? Like tickets are already on sale for wonder woman. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like I, I think they're going to, you know, agree to do that one, but then, you know, all bets are off after that. Uh, but on the flip side of this, you know, theaters are struggling, you know, and um, if, if you're talking about a high demand, you know, title versus playing a bunch of small indie titles, it's in the theater's interest to play the high demand title. So, you know, if they're in a situation where they have a lot of other options, then, you know, I, I can see, you know, for sure them boycotting the Warner, you know, titles. But if mm-hmm. they don't, then, you know, like they've already shown a willingness to like basically concede to every studio desire at this point. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a complicated, you know, answer. And I mean, I think long term, 
this is the question that theaters are going to have to wrestle with is, you know, even if we're getting this product, Universal, Warner, and Disney have all made clear that theaters are the last stop now, that they are the ones that we care about the least. So from a, a larger perspective, you know, if I'm at one of those, you know, companies right now, I am arguing that we have to radically shift our entire business model so that we are less dependent on studio product. Like we're going to have to develop mechanisms so that audiences are going to want to come out and support smaller content or even content that they're going to produce and distribute themselves. You know, so you're going to have to actively, you know, start uh, treating consumers better you know, like the, the customer service is going to have to improve. And even more importantly, the way that they promote and market these movies are going to have to improve because, you know, the theaters now are largely dependent on how studios are marketing, you know, movies. Like, okay, you're getting $150 million behind Dune. Well, then I don't really have to do anything. You know, I just have to put tickets for sale. But if you're yeah. dealing with an A24 movie and you need that movie to do as much business as Dune was going to do, then you're going to have to like get your hands dirty and really try to be, you know, give a compelling reason for an audience to come out and go see like Green Knight, you know, at the theater. But like having worked at a company that was really successful at being able to do that, you know, it's possible. It just requires a radical change in what their current strategies are. Do you think do you think the Alamo model is scalable to an AMC or Regal or Cinemark even sized uh, company? I mean, I, I I get the sense that you know it, it's hard it's hard to make a a theater that is uh, that is as as kind of good and as competent as Alamo is work at scale. So the the scale for the theatrical footprint is going to have to consolidate. You know, I mean, AMC is already closing theaters, you know, and, and th there's going to have to be, you know, a pretty significant decrease in the number of theaters that are out there. You know, like these multiplexes that they built, you know, in the, the 90s and the 2000s that have 20 plus screens, you know, like the, we don't need those anymore. You know, like we need, you know, 12 to, you know, 15 screen theaters. They're the largest, you know. Seats is probably about three or 400 seats, you know, in there. And, you know, like the goal there is, okay, so, you know, I have 12 screens now and the largest one's like 300 seats, but I've got a bunch of theaters that are 100 seats or so. How do I sell out those 100 seats? So, you know, can Alamo scale up? I mean, only if the industry scales down a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. is the best way to look at it. Well well, but I mean, I don't even mean can Alamo scale up. I mean, could could if we're talking about uh, a situation in which theaters need to have better dining options, need to have better service, need to have better presentation quality, frankly, right. is that a thing that AMC can do or Regal can do? Well, that's what I'm arguing. I mean, like, look, I, I'm pessimistic about the, the ability for them to do that. But I also yeah. think that that is the only path forward for them. So, you know, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you know, like they're dealing with, um, you know, like their livelihoods, you know, and, and being able to exist long term, you know, is going to require them knowing that they are no longer the studio's first option. 
you know, mm-hmm. like even on the biggest films. So I, I think that they have to do it. Uh, and they, you know, again, I'm, I'm pessimistic about it, you know, because it's going to require a complete reversal, you know, in, in change of everything that they're currently doing, you know. But I mean, it's that or just go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty stark. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's bad. I mean, I I was looking. There was a poll out today, uh, by a, a polling firm that that showed, I think it was twenty. If you give if you give people the option to watch a movie, uh, in theaters or at home, right. uh, roughly fifty percent were undecided, yeah. um, or had no opinion. Twenty four percent said they would watch in theaters and twenty five percent said they would watch streaming first. And the way I read that, the way I read that is, frankly, only a quarter, only a quarter of consumers are going to be interested in making the affirmative choice to go see something in theaters and theaters can't survive on that. I like the, the theatrical model doesn't survive, doesn't survive at at that sort of number. The problem with some of that polling is, you know, I mean, it's like the same thing when you poll, you know, for a political race and you're asking everybody versus likely voters, you know, Mm -hmm. like the likely voters is much more meaningful than everybody. So you have to ask people before you pull them, how often do you go to the theaters? Because half of the U.S. population was going to the theater like once a year or less. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about heavy theater goers with a lot of these polls. So like you have to really drill down and start with that population first. But I mean, I still think you're going to get results that indicate that even heavy theater goers are willing to wait, you know, and watch these big movies at home. You know, I mean, like we all have really nice home, you know, setups at this point, you know, like TV prices have come, you know, way, way, way down in, in the last couple of decades, you know, and then the shift to HD, um, you know, and it, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the value that people have in, in the theatrical experience has been lessened because of that. But, it, you know, the, the things that still drive people to want to go to the theater still exist. I, it's just, you know, like to your point, you know, if if we're continually to push other avenues of being able to watch, you know, a movie like Dune, you know, at home or Wonder Woman at home, you know, you're increasingly benefiting consumer behavior to not want to go to the theaters. You know, like that, that's a problem. I mean, and and that you have to give people a reason to want to go see these movies again in theaters. And again, like that requires a radical change in how the studios and the theaters operate, you know, in terms of the biggest product, you know, like they're going to have to get their hands dirty, you know, and eventize these movies themselves. And, you know, you know like you're pessimistic about it. I'm pessimistic about it, but I, well, you don't have a choice, you know, <laughs> like this yeah. is the only path forward in my mind for them to be successful. One, uh, let's let's try and be slightly more optimistic here, because one thing we we were discussing over text uh, before the show was, you know, given the given the shrinking of the window and giving given more flexibility on on parts of theaters uh, to to, you know, deal with that sort of thing. um, Is there do we do we can we foresee a a future here in which. Netflix and Amazon uh, originals uh, are more likely to be in theaters. I mean, so for instance, when the Irishman came out, the Irishman played in landmark theaters and maybe right. a couple, maybe I think they played in some of the yeah. But like, but basically played in not AMC, not Regal, not Cinema, right? right? They, yeah. it, it was, it was, it was shut out of the, 
um, big the big chains because Netflix said, look, this is a, it's a movie that's on our service. We want people to see it on our service. Uh, and, you know, theatrical is always secondary. But like, could we could we see a, a future here in 2021 or 2022 where Netflix says, all right, we'll do a month in theaters? you know a, a day and date uh, or maybe theaters a week yeah i mean like the funny thing is is the irishman you know the negotiations with the chains around the irishman fell apart with the window you know like netflix wanted 40 days and the 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 chains were going to agree to 60 but they couldn't meet in the middle and, and decide on 50 you know and it just fell apart there and, and then months later you know people started agreeing to a 17 day window so it, it is, you know, like a little ironic now. Um, but like going back to my original point about, you know, this radical changing of, you know, what your focus is. If studio product is not going to care about the theatrical anymore, then, the, you know, then you have to look elsewhere. You know, like the A24s and the Neons and, you know, the Bleecker Streets and the Magnolias and the IFCs. But for sure you know, Amazon and Netflix, you know, like, I mean, that like the neon and, you know, a 24 product is not a hundred million dollar budgets and they're not stars and they're not, you know, mainstream four quad movies, the way that the, these Netflix movies are like extraction, you know, and, and bird box would have done decently, you know, in a, in a post COVID world without, you know, like heavy studio plot products still flowing through these theaters. So, you know, you're, you're for sure going to see, uh, you know, this product, you know, get more attention in, in these larger, you know, theater chains. But, but the thing is with Netflix is, you know, there, there, there's been a civil war happening in, inside of Netflix for years and years, which is like, you know, they've been hiring more and more studio execs that have very traditional, you know, you know, thinking about the importance of the theatrical model. And, you know, then you have the other side of Netflix, which is, you know, like Ted Sarandis hates the theatrical model and, you know, is long forecasted that like the independent theatrical model was broken, um, you know, and, and wouldn't be able to, to sustain itself, you know, so he doesn't want these movies to be going, you know, like to theaters. He wants them day and date with, with, you know, when they're going to be available for the Netflix customer, because he believes, you know, the Netflix customer is paying for these movies, so they should have access to them first. So, you know, it, it, it's been interesting to sort of watch this internal fight, you know, happening at Netflix as they hire more and more studio execs that are pushing more and more for theaters. So, you know, it, 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 I do think that there's going to be a lot more Netflix product available in theaters, but how that windowing works is still going to be, you know, uh, something that both Netflix and the theaters are going to have to work through. Uh, what else? What, what else should I have asked? What, what have I what have what have I forgotten to, to ask you uh, or what, what do you think people should know about what is happening in the world of, of theatrical uh, uh, exhibition? Right I mean, now? You know, like the, the, the telling is going to be what is the first movie that comes out that can open at 50 million dollars? You know, like what is the first movie that can come out where, you know, the audiences that are worried about getting sick? Um, you know, or, you know, spreading COVID, you know, like when are they going to be comfortable about going back to the theaters? Like, you know, is that going to be James Bond in March? You know, probably not. You know, is that going to be Black Widow in May? Maybe, you know, I don't know. 
you know, like, are these movies going to shift a little bit, you know, in order to, to, to try to wait for that audience? Are they going to start going to, you know, collapse windows at that point? Um, I mean, that's really the, the question that everybody is just sort of holding their breath about, you know, like as pessimistic as you and I have been on this call, or maybe I've been on this call, like we, I still believe that the theatrical model for a lot of studio films is going to be utilized. You know, like the, the Disney wants Black Widow, you know, in Guardians 3 and Thor 4, they want those movies to have, you know, a theatrical life. The window might be shorter, you know, but they want to still generate hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office domestically with these movies. And I think the first time one of them does, then you're going to start to see a lot of other films, you know, revert back to that model. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the interesting question is what movie is that going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, James. Really appreciate you coming back on the show. Uh, hopefully that's not too depressing for everyone <laughs> listening who loves theaters, but you know, it's weird, weird times. Hopefully things will be better now that we, can all get our shots and feel feel safe going to the theaters. So go out, get your vaccination, uh, and um, enjoy enjoy your trip back to the movie theaters. Uh, I'm Sunny Bunch. I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.